Amen. Well, good morning. And to those who are with us online, good morning to you as well. You guys know I like stories. I like to tell stories. I like to hear stories. So I have two stories for you this morning. The first uh, might feel, actually both of them might feel a little oddly familiar, slightly similar to each other. So the first one is from 19th century China. There once was a lovely young lady named Ye Shen, and her father had died, so she was being raised by her stepmother. And she was, she was very spiteful to Ye Shen. And Ye Shen had one friend in the whole world, a fish in a stream. She'd go and spend her time by the stream and, and talk to this little fish friend. Well, one day her spiteful stepmother killed the fish. And Ye Shen goes down to the stream and she cries and she cries. And as she's crying, an elderly man comes by and sees her crying and says, Ye Shen, gather the fish bones and make a wish over them. Well, so she does that. She gathers up the bones of her dear little friend and she makes a wish and she says, I wish to attend the spring festival. After making her wish, she's granted her wish, and she finds her, her tattered clothes have turned into a beautiful outfit, complete with two golden shoes. Well, as many of you know, young girls have a way of losing their shoes. So as she's at the spring festival, she loses one of those shoes, running away from her spiteful stepmother. Well, villager finds this shoe, finds its way to the palace, and the king finds this golden shoe, this golden slipper, and is determined to find the rightful owner. So he searches everywhere, and eventually he finds Ye Shen, who just so happens to fit the shoe perfectly. So on the spot, he recognizes that she's a young woman at the festival. He's seen, he falls in love, he proposes to her, and she marries him, and the villagers stone the spiteful stepmother. The end of the story. <laughs> story number two. Again, maybe familiar. Maybe a little less so than that one, though. It's inspired by a folktale from Zimbabwe. A man had two daughters that he loved very dearly. Manyara, who was very selfish and conceited, and Nayasha, who was kind and sensitive. Nayasha, the kind and sensitive daughter, befriends not a fish but a magical snake while she's working in her garden. And she, she talks with this snake and, and it becomes her friend. The two get along swimmingly. Well, one day, the king of Zimbabwe announces that he is looking for a wife. So, of course, Manyara and Nayasha set out to see if maybe the king would want to marry one of them. Well, on the way, the two sisters come across some fellow travelers, one a hungry young boy and the other an elderly woman. And, of course, Nayasha is, is caring to them. She shares her food with them, but Manyara is as mean as could be, and, and goes on her way. 
Well, eventually, they make it to the king's home, and Nyasha discovers that the king is actually her friend, the magical snake, who she was kind to and took the time to talk with. And remembering her kindness, the king asks Nyasha's hand in marriage, and her selfish sister is forced to be her servant. The end. Now, in both stories, we have a beautiful and kind young woman. We have, at the same time, a king who's completely out of her league. Something happens along the way. Things aren't as they seem. An old man doing, like, magic with fish bones and a magical snake that's not really a snake but really a king, and he's in disguise. And at the center of both of these stories, miracle beyond miracles, something magical happens. Normal clothes transform into a beautiful outfit complete with golden slippers. A snake king becomes a normal man king. And both girls end up at a beautiful palace, the home of a king. And by the end of the story, the kind young woman is married to the king. And something bad happens to their wicked counterpart. The end. See, there's some familiar elements in both of these stories, right? Something that's like, wait a second, I feel like I've heard that before. Maybe not exactly the same story, but something feels similar. Some of the characters, the storyline, the, the magic that sits at the center of the story. And of course, many of you caught on pretty quickly. There's another story we could throw in the mix that maybe we are all a little more familiar with, the story of Cinderella. They're different stories from different places in the world, different times, but they feel oddly familiar. Today's ancient story for everyday people feels oddly familiar to last week's story, actually. So much so that a few months ago when I was preparing for these, I kept on getting the two stories mixed up. So I figured, well, why not preach on both? So we're getting the other story today because I believe that if there's something in the Bible that is repeated or even sounds similar somewhere else in the Bible, maybe it's worth paying attention to. So we're going to look at this other story, and, and I think there's some similar themes, but there's also some new truths that we can learn from this one. So we're going to jump into today's story. It's found in the book of 2 Kings. Last week we were in 1 Kings. So if you have your Bible, 2 Kings, and we're going to hop into chapter 4, starting at the beginning, verse 1. 2 Kings, chapter 4, verse 1. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There, there aren't any more. 
he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. This is the word of the Lord. Now, we've got some similar elements, right? We've got a prophet. Last week, it was the prophet Elijah. This week, it's the prophet Elisha, which is actually Elijah's kind of protege. Elisha actually worked under Elijah. And if you're someone like me, you're like, I'm going to get them mixed up. J comes before S, so Elijah came before Elisha. So today, we're looking at Elisha. And he kind of took over from Elisha, or from Elijah. See, I'm already getting them mixed up. After he was gone. So we've got a prophet. And then we have a woman, a widow who is in need. And you almost have to kind of wonder, did she know about what happened with Elijah? Because they, they were contemporaries. And maybe she's like, oh, Elisha, maybe he can do something similar as what Elijah did. I, I don't know. Maybe not. But once again, she's in need, and she has very little at her disposal, just a little bit of oil. Sound familiar? And that little bit of oil, just like last week, lays at the middle of the story. This miracle, something being provided out of nothing or pretty close to it. A jar, or in this case, jars, which by the end of the story are essentially overflowing with oil, totally full to the brim. And it stands, just like last week, as a reminder of God's provision. But there's some differences in the story, of course. And they're pretty significant. Where the woman last week seemed kind of hopelessly resigned to her fate, this woman is almost like, like I picture her kind of ready to fight. I picture her marching up to Elisha like, there's a prophet here? All right, where's he at? I got some words for you. I need some help right now. Give me an answer. And she's like, I've been a, I'm like a mama bear that's just been poked. I'm a mama on a mission, and I got to figure something out right now because I have a problem knocking on my door right this very moment, and, and I've got to figure out what to do. So she, she automatically feels a little different than the woman we encountered last week. Now, obviously, we don't know enough about either of these two women to really make a judgment of them. These are the only stories we have. We have a few more of the other woman, but there's not a whole lot more on these women that we know. But as I read this particular story, I see two faults with the widow written about here. Two things that she overlooked, which then reveal two truths as we read her story all these years later. So two faults of this woman. The first is her reply. Her reply to Elisha. When Elisha says, what can I do to help you? What do you have in the house? Her reply is, well, nothing at all, except a flask of oil. She skips right over the first question and right away declares that she has nothing, which maybe I'm splitting hairs here, but that's not 
actually true, right? She does have something. It's not much, but she's got something. She has a flask of oil. And I don't think she was trying to hide what she had. I just don't think she saw it as anything significant. She overlooked what was already in her possession. See, it's, it's like this. I only say this because I once was a teenager. But how many parents of teenagers have had your kids walk into the kitchen, open up the fridge, look at a fridge full of food, let all the cold air out, and then close it and say, Mom, there's nothing to eat. Not really true, right? There is plenty to eat. You just don't want what there is to eat. Or, I know I've been guilty of this, how many of us have stood in front of our closet, opened up the doors, and said, I have nothing, absolutely nothing to wear. Clearly, as I am scanning the room here, you all had something to wear. Otherwise, I hope you wouldn't be sitting here. You have something to wear. Maybe you just need to do laundry, or maybe you're just looking for an excuse to go shopping, but you have something. You are just overlooking what you do have, and so you say it's nothing. Now, clearly this woman did actually have very little, and I'm not denying that, but she overlooked what she did have. It was almost like an afterthought, like, oh, I guess something, a flask of oil. But that nothing ends up being the very something that would provide the solution for her problem. So obviously, in the realm of what God can do, it wasn't nothing. See, I think when we find ourselves in the middle of a problem, in a place of need, we have a tendency to overlook what we do have, what God has given us, even if it's seemingly nothing. Because here's the first truth I see in this story. God is able to provide out of nothing. Whether it's literally nothing or whether it's just something we perceive as nothing. So don't underestimate what he has given you. It may be literally nothing more than the breath in your lungs. But that's something. And the very nothing that you might be tempted to overlook could be the exact something that God uses to provide for your need. I told you there's two faults, though, with the woman, the story. The first was her response. The second, though, is her limited supply of jars. Now, follow me on this one because it's, it's a little more subtle, maybe requires a little more explanation. Elisha says, what do you have? And she says, nothing, just this flask of oil. And then he says, I want you to go out, go to your neighbors, borrow as many empty jars as you can. Ask your friends, ask your neighbors, and when you've gathered them all up, bring them back to your house, take them in, close the door, 
and start pouring the oil from your single flask into those jars and fill them up. And she does that. Exactly what she's told to do, she does that. And her sons begin handing her jars, and and she's pouring, and she's pouring, and finally she asks for another jar, and they say, Mom, that's the last one. And then the oil stops. Now, at first glance, this doesn't seem like a fault, because she did exactly what she was told to do. But if she had had more jars, would the oil have stopped? And this is, I realize, hypothetical. But let's just say she's pouring, and she's pouring, and she's pouring. The oil keeps on coming. And and one of the sons realizes there's only a couple left. And so he runs out, and he finds a cooking pot, an old, broken oil lamp, but it can still hold a little bit. And, And he starts gathering other things and puts it under the oil, and pretty soon he realizes they have nothing left, so he starts putting his hands under. And he pulls out a Ziploc from yesterday's sandwich and holds that open. And he just says, Mom, keep on pouring. Keep on, just don't hold that flask up. Just let it keep flowing. We'll figure something out. Brother, get your hands over here. Like, open my mouth up. And he just, what would have happened if, again, I'm theorizing, but would the oil have stopped flowing? Again, this is a speculation because we don't know. But I think what it points out is that God's ability to give, his provision is not limited. Except by our ability and our readiness to receive it. God's ability to provide is limited only by our ability to receive. Which again, maybe this isn't fair of me to call this a fault of the woman. But it it makes me stop and, and wonder and reflect on my own life. Do I underestimate and underprepare for what God can do? So truth number one, God is able to provide out of nothing. But truth number two, God is also able to provide over abundantly. And we may be completely missing out on how much God can provide simply because we aren't ready to receive it. So some of you, I can hear the wheels turning. You're thinking, okay, if God is able to provide out of nothing, he's able to provide abundantly, then what's the deal here? Because I still am in need I still am lacking something. Like, why, why isn't it like genie, where it's just like, poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? And then poof, there it is. Why aren't we all just swimming in money? Why don't we just open up the fridge and find all of our favorite foods all the time, and at least one person could say amen, right? Because why, why are we still in need if this is true of God? Why doesn't God just give us what we want, 
how we want it, when we want it. Well, God's not a genie. He's not a vending machine. He's not a Domino's pickup window where you can see in 10 minutes your pizza will be done. God's not any of that. We have a part to play too. I think when God provides, he often asks us to do something too. Not like in a transactional sense because God doesn't like get anything out of it. He gets glory, but he doesn't get anything from us and nothing we could give him is is really even enough. But rather, he invites us to take a step of faith. Let me explain. In both stories, last week and this week, a step of action was required. God involved the women in his miraculous acts of provision, giving them a chance to not only watch his provision, but to play a part in his provision. But that required obedience. It required a step of faith to do something, even if it felt pointless. And in the testing of their trust and obedience, his faithfulness was proven. See, not once, not even twice, but three times this woman in today's story had to demonstrate trust and obedience. Did you catch that? The first time was gathering the jars. That took time. Probably some awkward conversations. Like, hey, neighbor, can I have your jars? All of them, please. And, and they're probably wondering, what do you need with all these jars? It's kind of a weird request. If you don't believe me, go ask your neighbors for all their empty jars. And this in itself probably would have been a difficult task for a lot of us, maybe just me, but probably some of you, because it required her to go and ask her neighbors for help, which maybe I'm just speaking for me, but that's hard for me to do. I have a hard time asking for help. But this woman had to go to her neighbors and admit that she needed their help, and that was humbling. She had to obey going around and getting all these jars. But then after that, the second thing, she had to pour the oil, which maybe this isn't a big deal and we overlook it, but jar after jar after jar, they weren't just automatically filled. Sometimes in the Bible that happens, but not here. She had to manually pour all of the oil. And imagine if the mother and her sons had gone, collected all these jars, had all these awkward conversations with their neighbors, and they go in, close the doors, they start pouring the oil, and then nothing happened. That would have been embarrassing. It would have been a waste of time. They didn't actually know that this was going to happen. It was a step of faith, a test of trust. And it may not have made any sense in the world for them to do this, but they did it. And then, after she's collected the jars, after she's poured the oil, she still had to go out and sell the oil. Like, it wasn't just, here's, here's money, here's food. She had to actually go from there and, and sell, work, 
to experience all of the provision that God was giving her. See, God's provision wasn't instantaneous. Again, sometimes that happens in the Bible, but not in this story. She still had an incredibly active part to play. But each step along the way was just that, a step. And it was through those steps that I believe God bolstered and strengthened and developed her faith. So that by the end, she could look back at that journey that she had gone on and she could say, God is faithful. Not just because I've seen it, but because I've literally been a part of it. I've, I've been a part of it with my own two hands. I can't explain it. I, I don't understand it. But by the power of God, oil flowed from what I considered nothing and kept flowing and flowing. And for every jar that I filled and every full jar that I went out and sold after that, I held in my hands a tangible reminder that God is faithful. She would have missed out on that. But because God asked her to do something, asked her to play a part in his provision, to demonstrate trust and obedience, imagine what went through her mind every single time after that point. She picked up an empty jar. Like every week, months, years maybe even after that, every time she picked up an, open jar, uh, an empty jar and, and she poured out the last little drops, imagine just what would have gone through her mind. She kind of smiles to herself and, and looks at that empty jar and thinks, remember that time when that empty jar would have caused me so much anxiety? Remember that? You remember that day? I remember it. Every time I touch an empty jar, I remember it. God is faithful. And He provided, and He will still provide. I think every empty jar in her hand from that day on had to be a tangible reminder of the part she played in God's provision. You know, there's another reason that I think this story feels similar to the one that we looked at last week. Besides the similar characters, the widow and the prophet or the storylines, the oil. In both stories, it's about the same God. The same God who provided the flour and the oil for the woman Elijah interacted with is the same God who provided oil for this woman. Is the same God who provided manna in the wilderness for his people as they wandered around the desert. And the same God who provided bread for thousands from what a little boy thought was little more than nothing. The same God who saw an empty jar as an opportunity is the same God who left an empty tomb as a new reality. And the same God who said to that woman through Elisha, go and live on the rest, is the same God that invites us to come and live with me. It's all the same God. The God who is the same yesterday and today and forever and who never changes, who is always faithful, who will always provide, even if I don't know when and even if I don't know how, he is faithful. And he will be faithful again and again and again and again. 
God is the God who is faithful to provide. And I hear your stories of how God came through, how he provided, and they're all different. But there's something familiar in every single one of them. Because in every one, it's the same God doing exactly what he is known to do because he's the God who provides. So this morning, as we start to close here, this may sound a little weird, but I want to give you a jar. A literal, tangible, empty jar. Because many of us have carried some sort of need into this room. Maybe a physical need, maybe a financial need, maybe you need God to work in a relationship, a marriage, a friendship. It may be the same need that you carried in here last week. It may be something completely different that just popped up on your phone today. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I need God. This God who provides, I don't, I don't know him. And I, I think I need to. Whatever the need is in your life, whether you've been hauling around, around for years or it's fresh off the press, if you'd be willing to acknowledge that need and to say, Lord, I need your help. I need your provision. I want to give you a jar. You can take it home, put it somewhere that you're going to see it. Maybe you take it to the office, you'll see it there or somewhere you pray. But just put it somewhere that you're going to see it. And when you see this jar, maybe you pick it up. I want it to be a tangible reminder of two things. The first is God's provision. He is faithful to provide out of nothing. He is faithful to provide overabundantly. And an empty jar is just an opportunity for him to prove that to us once again. But the second thing I want this jar to remind you of is your part. Your role. Your opportunity to trust and obey so that even before God provides, you'd be willing to say, I don't understand it. Doesn't make any sense. But because God asked me to do it, and because I know he's faithful, I'll do my part, whatever that may be may mean asking for help. It may mean putting in the time and the effort into something that doesn't make sense. But God is faithful, and he provides, so I'm going to do my part. So the worship team is going to lead us in a closing song here, and a couple people are going to come up to the front to help pass out these jars. And this song's probably going to sound familiar, because it's the same song that they played at the end of the service last week. It talks about God's promises. His faithfulness, time and time again, and how when he speaks, his word will come to pass. And as they lead us in this song, if you'd be willing to just acknowledge that you have a need, that you need God to provide in your life, come get a jar. I've spent some time praying over these jars in the hands that we'll receive them this morning, asking that in some way, somehow, at some time, maybe not how you think or see, but praying that God would provide and prove once again that he is faithful, he is good, and he is able. So 
You may want to spend some time at your seat. You may want to spend some time at the altar, placing that need before the Lord once again. And just like last week, you may want to spend some time saying, Lord, you have provided, you are good. And you may use this altar to to praise him for that because it's not just a place for asking. It's a place for praising. And so as you hear the words of this song and you make your way up, if you feel led to do that, place that need before the Lord and hold in your hands a tangible reminder that God is faithful. He provides. You probably have a part to play, but as you continue to ask and wait and depend on him, remember that he is faithful. And so I want to pray for you. And then I'm going to ask you to stand and respond as you feel led. But would you pray with me? Lord, you are the God who provides. I'll say it over and over, and I may sound like a broken record, but it's because it's true. And time and time again, you have proven it. When you speak, your words will come to pass. And so, Lord, I don't know all the needs in this room, but I ask that you would provide in a way that reveals who you are to every single person who holds this tangible reminder of your provision and our part to play. Lord, we ask that you would provide. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and as the team leads us, make your way to the front if you would like to receive a jar.